When I first moved to Washington, D.C., I had the privilege of sharing a meal with Dr. Richard Halverson, who was the Senate chaplain in the Senate dining room. Part of what made it memorable is the fact that the uh, former heavyweight champion of the world, Muhammad Ali, was sitting at the table next to us. And prior to serving in the Senate, Dr. Halverson pastored Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland for 23 years. He did what pastors do, everything from marrying to bearing, but he believed that his most important function was pronouncing the benediction at the end of every service. So every week, uh, it was the last thing he said and the last thing that people heard for 23 years, he said, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. And wherever you are, God has put you there. Now, Dr. Halverson reminded his congregation of that truth a week in and week out until his death on December 1st, 1995. Then he reminded them one last time. At the conclusion of his funeral service, someone at the soundboard hit play. And for the last time, Dr. Halverson gave the benediction via recording. You go nowhere by accident. Dave and Lynn Weatherby have been a part of our Capitol Hill campus for several years. They also serve as mentors for our freshmen of the city group, wonderful people. And about a year ago, they shared a story with me, and they gave me permission to share it with you uh, this weekend. They were in California for a wedding, and while they were there, they decided to swing by and visit Pastor Mike and Robin Whitford, uh, who were pastoring in Fresno at the time. And before leaving, uh, Dave said they prayed together and that Robin prayed for divine appointments as they traveled. Well, the next morning, they got up and decided to play a round of golf at a local golf course. And on the fourth hole, a single played up behind them. And so they asked if he wanted to play through or join them. And he joined them for the rest of that round. Actually helped Dave and Lynn because he had played that course many times. And, uh, and he'd always played it with someone, but not on this particular day. Now listen, Dave and Lynn ooze Jesus, okay? You can't be around them for very long without sensing uh, the presence of God. And I, I think that this uh, person that was playing with them sensed it. And so as they walked up to the tee box on the ninth hole, he revealed something. Uh, he told them that on that very day, his brother was being released from prison after serving a 30-year sentence for molesting his two sisters. And he told them that he went to the golf course alone that day because he wasn't sure that his golfing buddies would understand how difficult it had been for him to deal with his brother's release because his brother showed no remorse. And he told Dave and Lynn this. He said, I prayed today that God would provide someone to play with who would be caring and understanding. Okay. If you know Dave and Lynn, you're laughing right about now because 
I don't know if you can imagine anybody who's more caring or understanding than Dave and Lynn Weatherby. And so, I mean, come on. They play the ninth hole. They pray together. They go their separate ways. But I would suggest that you go nowhere by accident. And wherever you go, even if it's on the fourth hole and a single is playing up behind you on a golf course in California, that it might be God setting you up. Now, I could have told you 100 stories this weekend. The reason why I told you that one is because before coming to National Community Church, Dave and Lynn Weatherby went to Fourth Presbyterian for 45 years. And so a thousand times they heard this benediction, but they didn't just hear it. They believed it. They lived it. Dave said, imagine God bringing a couple all the way from Maryland to Modesto, California to be part of answering this man's prayer. And imagine Robin Whitford specifically praying for our divine appointment. Listen, God is ordering our footsteps. God is preparing good works in advance, God is setting up divine appointments, but it's our job to keep them. Now, last week, we looked at the first miracle in John's gospel. I talked about God's authority at a molecular level. There are 10 to the 82nd power atoms in the observable universe, and every single one of them is subject to its creator. Well, this weekend, I want to talk about his lordship over latitude and longitude. Listen, when you meet the right person at the right time and you have no earthly explanation for it, it might just be that God is setting you up. I call them supernatural synchronicities, and, and I believe that it's not just a subplot in Scripture. Listen, if you live a Spirit-led life, it's going to be a subplot in your life as well. One last thought. This is what I want you to hold on to. You are someone else's miracle. I promise you that. And, and we could get a hold of that, that would be a game changer. So this weekend, can we, not, can we not focus on the miracle that we need? What if we focused on being a part of someone else's miracle this week and see what God does? John chapter four, verse 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was in Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And then Jesus said unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, you, you will not believe. The royal official saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. And Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole House. This is, again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So Jesus came again to Cana. 
About a month ago, I was invited to speak at the uh, centennial celebration of the Assemblies of God in Springfield, Missouri, and and, uh, I I anticipated it in part because I spent a couple of years in Springfield at Central Bible College, and uh, it was a significant place in my life. I preached some of my first sermons there. That's where I learned to hear the voice of God. That's where I began to just pursue God uh, in a way that was very personal and very meaningful, and so... uh, was looking forward to it, flew into Springfield, and, uh, and decided that I would go over and visit Central Bible College because I, I thought it would probably be my last opportunity um, because the school has been absorbed by Evangel University and it's on the market. It's for sale. They're for sale signs. And so I figured when someone bought it, I probably wouldn't be able to go back, and that's a little bit sad for me. And so um, I figured there's no way I'm going to get into any of the buildings or see anything, but I'm at least going to visit the campus. And so um, pulled up. There was like one car in the parking lot, and uh, first place I went was was the gym. Um, and and as I was walking up to the gym, and it was locked. And uh, I heard a knock on the window, but it was like one-way glass, so I couldn't see in. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a little spooky, because I guess someone's in there. And and I walk up to the door, and uh, a guy says, hi, Mark, come on in. As if he was expecting me. And, And turns out that he's the caretaker of the campus, like the only one practically on campus, and, and uh, he opened the door and uh, said, come on in, take a look around, and oh man, it was so fun. I walked down on the basketball court where I threw down a few dunks back in the day, and uh, just kind of reliving. I spent a lot of hours in that gym, plus I was a gym monitor. That was my big college job. So I uh, walked through the the, the gym, and he's like, do you want to see anything else? And I'm like, do I? And, and he ends up taking me everywhere on campus. I mean, my, my old dorm, get to see it, and then um, walk over to the library. And I walk in the library, okay, and it starts getting kind of weird because the librarian says, hi, Mark. Okay, it's the same librarian that was there when I went to college there 22 years ago. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I haven't changed that much. And, and uh and so he's showing me old pictures, some of the old basketball pictures from when I played. Then he shows me a picture of my father-in-law, Bob Schmidgall, who played basketball there in 1965. And I, it's hard to describe, but I'm taking like a serious walk down memory lane. And then finally, we go over to the chapel. And that's the place. Um, that's my burning bush because my senior year, every day during lunch, I'd walk up to uh, uh, the chapel. I'd go up to the balcony and I'd just walk back and forth and pray. Um, I, I knew I was about to graduate and it was about to get real and, and I needed to know that God was ordering my footsteps. I don't have time to tell you about one of the miracles that happened there that would have significantly changed the trajectory of my life And in that balcony, God checked my spirit. And it made no sense. But it would have taken me down a path that would have been so different. I can't even imagine how Laura and I would have landed here in Washington, D.C. And was just overcome 
come with this feeling. Like, I, here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just go then to the middle of the campus and at the top of my voice scream, God is faithful. Um, it was like a 22-year time warp. So I just looked back and I could see how God had ordered my footsteps. And so I walk out of the chapel and the last thing this guy says to me was, Mark, you know, I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, I wonder if Mark Batterson is going to stop by the campus today. I, I didn't even know how to react to it. You know, and I, I don't know. I mean, I have a hunch that maybe he knew I went there and maybe he knew I was speaking across town that late. I, I don't know, but why me and why that day? But, but I just feel like it was one of those moments where God said, I'm going to give you a moment. I'm going to remind you that I am ordering your footsteps from the, from the days you prayed in that balcony to where you are right now and wherever you go. I've got your back. Now, here's the crazy thing. That's not even the point of the whole story. <laughs> I needed to go back to that balcony. You know why? Because sometimes you have to go back to Cana. I mean, that's what Jesus does. Sometimes you need to go back to a place where you've experienced a miracle, where God has done something in your life that's undeniable. You need to go back to that same place. You need to hit your knees. You need to thank God. You need to allow God to reset and renew the faith that's in your heart for the miracle that you need in your life. If you're Lazarus, you need to go back and put flowers on your grave. If you're Zacchaeus, you need to go back and climb the sycamore tree. If you're Paul, you need to hop on your horse. You need to ride out on the road to Damascus, the place where God knocked you off of your horse. If you're Peter, you need to hop in the boat. You need to row that boat out of the place where you walked on water. If you're Elijah, you need to go back to Mount Carmel, the place where you defeated 450 prophets of Baal. If you're Moses, you need to go back to the burning bush. And if you're Jesus, you need to go back to Cana. Now, wait, 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 wait. Because we're talking about Jesus. Listen, I know he's in a category by himself. But facts are facts. The first miracle happened in Cana. And it says he came again to Cana. That's a coincidence. I just, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. And here's what I've learned. It is hard to deny the glory and power of God when you're in a place where you cannot deny the miracle to happen there. They, they didn't drink all 757 bottles. We talked about it last week, right? There, there were still bottles on eBay. Like, I, I mean, there was still the residual evidence of the miracle that happened there. Can I, can I tell you why my favorite place to pray is up on the rooftop of Ebenezer's? Because it took not one miracle, not, it took so many miracles for us to turn that crack house into a coffee house. And so when people come and visit, you know what I tell them? This isn't a coffee house. This is a miracle. This is what a miracle looks like. This is a miracle with brick and mortar. This is a miracle that serves coffee. <laughs> but make, make no mistake, First and foremost, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. So when I go up and pray on that rooftop, God gives me the faith. We need to revisit the places where God has done miracles in our life. Jesus came again to Cana. Where do you need to go back to? What do you need to believe God for again? And there was a certain royal official 
whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, let let me stop here and give a little bit of backdrop. In the first century Israel, uh, royal officials and itinerant Jewish rabbis ran in very different social circles. They did not follow each other on Twitter. They did not friend each other on Facebook. They didn't pin on each other's walls. They didn't like each other's Instagrams. They avoided each other at all costs, but desperate times call for desperate measures. What, What I love about this is when your son is on his deathbed, you will move heaven and earth or you will humble yourself before the maker of heaven and earth. You will do anything because you love your son and you know you need a miracle. What I wish I had more time to talk about was the the way that, that this script flips because who's the one with the authority? It's the royal official. It's the guy that is in political Power, but he recognizes a greater authority. I want to tell you this weekend that, that, you know what? There are going to be royal officials who come knocking at your door. See, you may think that they have what you want, but you have what they need. Because there is an authority that is far greater than any authority that can be given by man. It's the authority of God. And if you're a child of God, that authority is yours. And you function with the authority of God behind you. And so God is setting you up. He's going to take you places. You're going to meet people. You have no business. Who is out of your league? Who do you have no business doing business with? Who is the royal official in your life? Don't you be surprised. If you follow Jesus, they're going to come knocking on your door. And you better be ready for that moment because you are someone else's miracle. And so you see this divine appointment happening. It says, when he heard that Jesus was in Galilee, he went unto him, and we read right past it. But this is a huge step of faith. Cana was 20 miles from Capernaum. As the crow flies, and Capernaum is 700 feet below sea level. So it was an uphill hike through some rugged terrain. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Sometimes faith is measured in miles. In this case, I would suggest that it took 20 miles of faith. It took 20 miles of faith for him to experience this miracle. Now, I got an email this week from uh, uh, someone who felt called to pray for uh, this city. And uh, can I just go on record and say, I- I'm so grateful for, for so many people who have interceded for this city and who feel called to this city and seeds are being planted. Like, praise God. And so she felt called. She moved here on faith, no place to live, and uh, has been quietly circling uh, the White House in prayer uh, the last few months. Now, the route that she takes, um, she told me, is 2.71 miles, and she circled the White House 57 times. So, did the math, and that's 154.47 miles. I would submit that that takes 154.47 miles of faith. Okay, stick with me. I'm going to keep going. Uh, in, the, in the grave robber, I, I tell the story. You'll, you'll read it if you haven't already, about Paul Anderson. Now, uh, Paul was praying for a kidney transplant, not for himself, but for a friend's son. And the reason why I was praying is because God had revealed to him that he was the one who was supposed to donate the kidney. And so 
Um, he started circling Baptist Hospital in Oklahoma City. And he told me that he circled it every day for 160 days. Now, it's a one-mile lap. And he said when he added it up, he has circled that hospital 350 times. That's 350 miles of faith. But let's have even more fun than this, okay? Because I think you can measure not just in miles, but you can measure it in hours or calories. Okay, at an average rate of three miles per hour, Paul spent 116 hours circling Baptist Hospital. That's nearly five 24-hour days at an average burn rate of 125 calories per hour. Paul burned 43,750 calories. Now, theoretically, 3,500 calories, and you just burned off a pound. So Paul burned 12.5 pounds praying for this miracle. Isn't that great? Pray for the miracle. Get in the shape at the same time. <laughs> On June 17, 2013, a miracle happened. As Paul donated his kidney Marquise got that kidney, saved his life. I would suggest that it took 43,750 calories of faith. Do you know that right now, um, these are just emails that I've gotten. There, there are several people right now that are circling 8,000-mile circle around America, either biking uh, or walking. Um, there's a pastor in New England who said, hey, uh, we're believing for revival up in New England. And so they, they, uh, they hopped in a, in a car, their staff, and for five days, they drove uh, several thousand miles around five states. I would suggest that those are expressions of faith. When Laura and I felt called uh, to move from Chicago to D.C., it took 595 miles of faith. We didn't know anybody here. We didn't have a place to live. We didn't have a salary. But, but sometimes faith is measured in miles. Okay, I'm going to keep going because I want to make this point. Um, uh, this week, we welcomed back Christina and Dido uh, Borja, uh, part of our staff. But a year ago, they got this crazy idea that maybe God was calling their family to Spain. I didn't do the math. I don't know the number of miles, but there's an ocean in between us. Like that took some faith for them to cross an ocean. Um, this weekend, Brian MacArthur is here uh, down in Bolivia. I don't know the number of miles, but it took some faith for him to move down and work with these boys that, that need someone to love them and care for them. This week, we, met, uh, we welcomed some protégés. Okay, and one of our protégés, Caleb, is from Springfield, Missouri. And he told me that he drove here in his big red uh, F-150 truck. And he doesn't know how to parallel park. <laughs> so let's be praying for Caleb. Um, and then Eric shares his story about how he was in Afghanistan and in, in, in the United States Army serving our country. And too long a story to tell. That's a lot of miles from there uh, to here. Um, what, what I'm saying is that sometimes Faith is measured in miles, it's measured in calories. And, and, and I'll make my point in, in a moment. I know how dangerous this is, what I just shared. Because it's not about logging miles, tracking hours, or counting calories. You can't earn a miracle any more than you can earn salvation. You can't manipulate God, you can't manufacture a miracle. But sometimes God wants to see if you're serious. Yeah. 
Are you willing to walk to Cana? Are you willing to burn the calories to see what God can do? I mean, come on, the Israelites had to circle Jericho seven times. Naaman had to dip in the Jordan River seven times. Elijah had to pray for rain seven times. Now, it's not like seven is a magic number, but sometimes you have to do the natural so that God can do the supernatural. We, we like saying around here, pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. You can't just pray like it depends on God. You also have to work like it depends on you. Here's my point. Your effort won't make miracles happen, but your lack of effort can keep them from happening. If the royal official stays in Capernaum, he misses the miracle. Don't wait for the miracle to come to you. Go get it. Go get it. Listen, Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort's an action. See, you can't earn a miracle, but effort is part of the equation. You may have to hike uphill for 20 miles, but that extra effort can sometimes be the catalyst for a miracle. Sometimes you have to walk to Cana. Sometimes you have to burn 43,750 calories. Sometimes you have to knock on 435 doors. You'll read about that in the grave robber. Sometimes you have to circle something 57 times. Here's what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm pushing us a little bit this weekend because I want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's my translation. I want an A for effort. I want an A for effort. I want to work and act and put the effort in like I really believe he can do it. If you believe it, you're going to walk to Cana. Are you willing to walk to Cana? And the royal official saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. And Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word, believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Let me talk about this little phrase, okay? He believed the word. You do not need another sermon. You need a word from God. Now, sometimes you can get a word from God in a sermon, okay? And that's great. Um, uh, let me have a little fun with this. When I was 19 years old, I, I heard an evangelist named Sam Farina preach a message about one of David's mighty men, his, his bodyguard, a guy named Benaiah, who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed it. And I remember hearing, hearing that message at 19, and something was different, something quickened in my spirit. One, I thought, like, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I was like, wow, that is the coolest story I've ever heard. And I kid you not, a, a thought fired across my synapses. If I ever write a book, I would love to write a book about that story. At 19, I wasn't even called to ministry. I wasn't called to write. Like I had no, I had no earthly idea. And it was 16 years, okay? 16 years um, that then that seed that was planted ended up writing this crazy book with the title, No One Can Remember. <laughs> and, and so, so this week, this week, um, I'm over at the Library of Congress in the members room um, because a congressman and his staff were doing a retreat and they asked if I would come over and just share um, a devotional thought with them, a word of encouragement, and, and I did. And, and then at the end, the congressman asked one of his staffers if he would share his testimony with me. And I mean, you know, 
good-looking young guy, strong, um, and uh, had no idea what was kind of coming at me. And, and uh, he began to share his story about how during a very, very difficult time in his life, um, an injury that kind of uh, injured some dreams that he had, um, he just felt like he hit bottom. And a friend of his uh, gave him a copy of In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And, and this, this, this guy starts tearing up. And then I, my eyes start sweating a little bit um, <laughs> as he begins to share with me um, how God used that book at a critical point in time, and it was a miracle in his life. And, and then I thought, well, you know what? Praise God, because, and I told him, I said, you know what? That was an answer to prayer, because there have been a team of intercessors praying that, that for every book, but that book in particular, um, that it would get into the right hands at the right Time. Why? Because God orders our footsteps because God sets up divine appointments. But here's my whole point. A lot of miracles like that have happened, but, but it always starts with the word. You, you got to get a word from God. And, uh, and I want to tell you this. Um, you're not going to get a word from God if you don't get into the word of God. That's where you get a word from God. John 15, 7. Okay? John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you will and it shall be done. Isn't this great? We're right back where we started. Don't seek miracles. Seek Jesus. And if you seek Jesus, you're going to find yourself in the middle of some miracles. He is the word. He is the word made flesh. And when we're in the word of God, he can begin to quicken it, but we've got to abide. We've, we've got to allow the word of God to abide in us. Present imperative verb, which indicates continual action. Let me give you five quick translations. It means to stay overnight. When was the last time you pulled an all-nighter? God, I need a word from you where you couldn't go to sleep because you were in God's word because you needed a word from God. It means to hold fast. Listen, to me, that, that's white knuckling the promises of God. That's saying God's given me this verse. I am not gonna let go of God's word. It means to stand still. Now I'm gonna stand on God's word, on his promises, I'm gonna Fix myself. You are not going to move me because I'm going to stand still right on God's word. It means to tarry. Love that. I, I don't even know if, do we even know what that means anymore? That's what Jesus told the disciples to do. Like, no, don't, don't go out and do the Great Commission before you tarry. You better get in the upper room. You better get a word from God. You better have a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're not going to get anywhere. And so means to tarry, and then I like this last one, to be moved. Just like uh, the spirit of Zerubbabel was stirred. It's the spirit of God. When you get a word from God, he begins to stir your spirit, brings you to life, it animates you somehow. Now, let me share a story that uh, I ain't got time for it. Um, by the way, it's hard to believe the word if you don't know the word. Um, on August 16, 1996, 
was doing devotions at our row home on Capitol Hill, hot and humid day. So in the spare bedroom of our house, this is before summer was born, so it was the church office. And uh, church of about 20 people at that point were meeting in the cafetorium at Getting School, which is now Results Gym. And I was beginning to read the book of Joshua. I didn't get three verses in that the word just came alive in my spirit. Joshua 1, 1, 3. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you. I will give you every place you set your foot just as I promised Moses. If I had been hooked up to a heart monitor, when I read that verse, it would have spiked. Something happened. Um, the best way I can describe it is I, I, I've, I've had asthma my whole, my whole life. And, and when I was a kid, before I had an inhaler, I'd, I'd go to the hospital almost every night. I mean, it's crazy. And I'd get a shot of epinephrine. It's one of those feelings that, that um, I mean, I, it's like part of my chemistry. Like, I, I still remember it so, so well. The adrenaline beginning to surge through my veins, and, and my breathing would clear up, and there was a little jolt of energy. The problem was usually like three or four in the morning. Um, that was the feeling I got when I read this verse. It was like a surge of adrenaline in my spirit. I will give you everywhere you set your foot. And I knew that day I couldn't do devotions at home. And so I set out to pray a perimeter around Capitol Hill. 4.7 miles took a couple of hours. It was hot. Now at that point, we were on the verge of becoming a homeless church. School where we met was about to close down. We looked into a couple dozen uh, uh, options and couldn't, couldn't find a place to meet. As it began to circle Capitol Hill, the confidence began to grow. No, 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 no. Maybe God has us right where he wants us. Uh, maybe God is ordering our footsteps. Well, I circled Union Station where we met for 13 years. God opened an unbelievable door of opportunity. You know, the day that I walked into Union Station to see if they would ever think about a church being able to rent it was the same day that AMC started a nationwide campaign called their VIP program, uh, promoting the theater for uses by nonprofits and businesses. As far as I know, we're the first group that ever responded to that, and we had no idea it was happening, but God was setting us up. Um, I walked by, by the corner of 2nd and F Street. I had no idea that God would give us 205 F Street as our first office. Uh, no idea that 201 F Street, where there was a crack house, that it would become Ebenezer's Coffee House. As I walked around down 8th Street, um, I walked under the marquee of an old movie theater on Capitol Hill. I had no idea that 15 years later that, that God, that God um, would orchestrate this, this wonderful double miracle between National Community Church and the People's Church. And of course, we would begin meeting uh, at our Barracks Row campus. I had no idea as I walked by an old glass company and an old auto shop that, that at that point in August of 1996, our total income was $2,000 a month. If you would have told me then that 16 years later that God would give us an $8 million piece of property, we wouldn't have to take out a mortgage on it. It would be debt free. I, 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 I don't know that I would have had the faith to believe you. I had no idea. But, but when I was circling those, that, that um, Capitol Hill, it was the seventh hour. What are you talking about? It was the seventh hour. D did you notice what happened in this story? That evidently, the moment Jesus said, your son will live, 
This man believed him, took him in his word, and went back. But what, what did he do? Evidently, he checked his sundial. Why? Because when he met his servants coming the other way, he asked them, what time? What time did my son get well? And sure enough, it was the very moment that Jesus said, here's what I'm saying, it's the seventh hour. You have got to mark the moment. You've got to, listen, I, I've marked August 16, 1996. There's a lot of other dates that I've marked. But, but you know what? Here, here's what I believe. Like, like 201 F Street. Yeah, okay. We signed the contract on February 7, 2002. Now, the reason why I remember that is because the day after Josiah was born. It was at Washington Hospital Center. No, that isn't the day that, that the contract was signed. That isn't the day God gave it to us. He gave it to us August 16, 1996. Why? Because that was the seventh hour. Uh, what I want to tell you, there are some miracles that may not happen for years. I, I can't tell you how or when or where, but you know what? If you pray through, God's going to break through. That there's going to be a moment where, where you're going to look back and say, that was the moment that the miracle began. You are not here by accident this weekend. You are here by divine appointment. One last story and I'm done. In Grave Robber, I share the story of a man named Peter who was on a flight to Vegas. He's reading a copy of In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And he said he was on the, a leg of the flight and he read one sentence. God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time, but it's up to us to see and seize those opportunities that are all around us all, all the time. And he said uh, in his email to me, he said, as I read that, something was quickened in my spirit. And uh, he said, I, I had a change of flights in Phoenix. He said, I got on a, a flight to Vegas. And um, he said, as I went to sit down, he said, I, I just had this sense that the seat assignment was a divine assignment. And, and he sat next to a, a young lady that was on the plane already. And, uh, and so he turned and, and said, Hello. And uh, it was kind of one of those responses like, okay, that was all right, but don't talk to me again. And the armrest is mine. Kind of like shut him down. Like, don't talk to me. But he couldn't shake the feeling. He just felt like that, uh, that, that there was something, something, there was a reason why he was there. And so uh, he was afraid of offending her, but he turned to her and he said, you know, young, young lady, I... I don't want to offend you in any way, but I just have a sense that you're carrying a burden. And if, if I can help in any way, I'm all ears. Well, this 17-year-old girl opened up to him and said that she was three months pregnant. And she was on this airplane to Las Vegas because her boyfriend told her to take off and take care of it. She had stolen her dad's credit card that morning. And she was running away from home. And uh, she shared her story and Peter shared the gospel. And... By the time they landed in Vegas, he had convinced her to immediately call her parents, who, as you can imagine, were absolutely worried sick. Uh, her parents convinced her to hop on a plane and come right home so that they could take care of her and her baby. Now, I don't know the rest of the story, but I have a feeling that because one man recognized that a seat assignment might be a divine assignment, one, maybe two lives were saved. Here's what I'm saying. You're someone else's miracle. I don't know if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I don't know if it's at the office or at home. I don't know if it's on your way somewhere or somewhere out of the way. I, I have no idea, but I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty convinced. You are someone else's 
miracle. And it's the seventh hour. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us live a spirit-led life. Help us follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Help us be a people that recognize a God-ordained opportunity when we see one. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just want to ask, ask a question this weekend because there may be some of you here who don't have a personal relationship with Christ. You've never surrendered your life to his lordship. You've never received this gift of salvation that's freely offered to us. Your sin has not been nailed to the cross, but, but this is your moment. Uh, you are not here by accident. You need to mark this moment. This is the seventh hour. Today is the day of salvation. I want to encourage you, if this is your moment and you know it, to just simply respond. I want to pray a simple prayer and I'd invite you in your heart to just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, but I thank you that, that there is a God who is sovereign, who loves me and cares for me enough to have gone to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And right here, right now, at this seventh hour, I receive that gift as mine and give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.